Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning in the middle of, uh, well, the beginning of June. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about the legal profession itself. Um, and it's mostly to do with the professional ethics that you as a client can expect from your attorney. So in the legal profession, in a lot of professions, there's what we call ethics, but each profession has their own subcategory and in the legal fraternity or the legal um, circle, we have what we call legal ethics. And when we talk about legal ethics, it can be understood in both a narrow and a wide sense. But it basically, in a wide sense, refers to the general, uh, refers in general to the relationship between the law and ethics, or ethics in this case, morality. In the narrow sense, the legal ethics term refers to an ethical standard of professional conduct which is applicable to the field of law. So in the field of medicine, for example, we would have medical ethics. Legal ethics in the narrow sense deals with the oughts, in inverted commas, of providing a legal service. So basically we ask ourselves how ought a legal practitioner to behave in order to be a good, decent and proper legal practitioner. So that's, that is the question that gets asked in the narrow sense with regards to the professional conduct. In legal practice, we talk about legal ethics, and the term legal ethics is understandably generally used in the narrow sense, right? Which is their conduct applicable to the field of law and their standard of professionalism. So I'm going to talk purely about the professional conduct expected of legal practitioners in South Africa. So ethics for an attorney in South Africa is regulated by the Attorneys Act in number 53 of 1979. The whole of chapter 3 of this act, which would be sections 56 to section 77, is very relevant to legal ethics in South Africa. The Attorneys Act governs the establishment of the law societies. Now law societies lay down binding rules for the members of the legal profession on their registers. So law societies also um, set down various rules which are intended to firstly protect and promote the legal profession, secondly protect the individual practitioner, and thirdly to protect and safeguard the interest of the client in the context of the relationship between the lawyer and the client or their client. We also look at the Supreme Court's Act 59 of 1959, which contains rules pertaining to the admission of advocates, their authorization to practice and their conduct. Because remember now, advocates and attorneys are slightly different. In terms of sections two of the Admission of Advocates Act 74 of 1964, the power to make rules includes the power to make rules in terms of the Supreme Court Act, which gives effect to the provisions of the Admission of Advocates Act. 
So the rules of the code of conduct of the various court divisions also governs the professional conduct of legal practitioners. So just remember the various courts have their own rules, their court rules, okay. So when we look at professional codes, um, there is comprehensive codes of legal ethics that were adopted with an attempt to maintain the ethical basis of the legal profession. A professional code of ethics is a compilation, so it's a set of ethical values, that provides practitioners in the legal profession with a framework for ethical practice of law in their profession. A code of legal ethics would generally be one to protect the professional nature of their legal services by stressing their obligation of professionalism to service justice and the public. Secondly, it would be to correct the imbalance in the relationship between the professional and the client. Thirdly, it would be to maintain public confidence. Fourthly, it would be to protect the public against improper conduct or incompetence by prescribing and guaranteeing standards of skills, learning and conduct that is required by the legal profession. Fifthly, would be providing practitioners and newcomers with a broad parameter for making morally responsible choices in testing situations. Sixth, it would ensure fair competition between legal practitioners. And seven, it would discipline unprofessional behavior. So that's the purpose of the professional code. So there has been some criticism of professional codes. Um, specifically, we have insider criticism, which is criticism within the profession. And this is where practitioners are suspicious of the codes of ethics. And the suspicion concerns two different aspects, namely a practical concern and a theoretical concern. From a practical concern perspective, professional codes are not always enforced by the law society. And those who transgress them are not always dealt with effectively. So many practitioners feel that the codes are not properly enforced and they argue that the profession might as well abandon them or replace them with codes of business ethics instead. Okay, and then from a theoretical concern, the very idea that the, the practice of law is a profession and not merely a job in which bureaucratic tasks are associated with a business is executed counters the idea that legal ethics can be reduced to a rule of professional conduct. So one justification for the self-regulation of the profession is that the practice of law requires very complex professional judgment, reasonableness of which can be judged only by a fellow professional. So self-regulation presumes that the conduct of a practitioner will not be judged against a code, but more judged by colleagues who exhibit those virtues inherent in morally good practitioners. So there's a more formalistic idea that legal ethics is no more than a compliance with a legal code, which makes a mockery of this justification and kind of reduces law to another business enterprise. And it exposes the continued existence of the law and bar societies as no more than agencies that create a protected vested interest. We also have outsider criticism. Now, this is criticism from... Um, people or institutions or professionals outside of the legal practition 
profession and they feel from an outsider's perspective the public specifically feel that there is no access to a simplified easy understandable professional code and they do not know what conduct is regarded as unethical or dishonest therefore they are not able to lay complaints which may be investigated by the enforcing agencies which would be the various law societies and bar um, councils so some ethical rules are seen as protecting members of the profession against the public or serving only the interest of members of the legal profession. So, for example, the rules which create barriers against competition from newcomers to the profession is one of those examples. So the rules regarded as having universal or timeless value, rules sometimes change as time changes. So the rule that practitioners who write articles may not be identified in the press with reference to their firms could be considered a form of touting. This also no longer applies. So the public furthermore feels that since complaints are handled by colleagues of the accused in the legal profession, the latter will be protected against accusation from the public. So in other words, they are most times protected by their profession. So there is no fair um, sanction against a legal professional who um, obviously behaves unethically. Practitioners are also reluctant to report colleagues, as with any profession, due to, um, to report colleagues to enforcing agencies and often unwilling to testify against them during hearings. If practitioners turn a blind eye to what their colleagues do, there is no way in which the profession may be disciplined. So legal professions is consequently sometimes regarded as a conspiracy, conspiracy against the lighty or as an unusual effective monopoly and we have the same issue in the medical fraternity and the medical profession um, we have the same we have we have it in a lot of professions actually I think even in the the chartered accountants financials associations we have the same issues okay so we're gonna just go through a few little things like for instance I would like to explain to you what a profession is so when people talk about a profession it's not just a job you have to realize that legal studies take many many years and it's not once you've got your LLB you just finish studying it's continued education for the rest of your life and you have to you have to meet certain CPD points or CPE points, sorry, every single year in order to continue remaining in some of the agents and institutions that you actually are members of. So the word profession is derived actually from a Latin word called professio, which means public statement or promise. So from this Latin word, it may be inferred that the legal profession, whether an attorney, advocate, judge, magistrate, public prosecutor, or legal advisor, should be worthy of public trust. And I know that's very difficult for a lot of people because a lot of people think that attorneys and people in the legal profession are dodgy, scary. Okay. As I go through this uh, subject, you will see that there's a reason 
for certain behavior by your legal representative and you will understand why they do what they do so um so they should be worthy of a public trust and therefore they must carry out their professional duties with public spiritedness and higher standards of ethical conduct now most people in the legal profession are extremely ethical people it's very rare that you come across a legal professional who um, won't put their morals first. And it has to, you have to be reminded as a client that there is your client attorney privilege. Okay. But if you, and, and that is, as soon as you start talking to an attorney, there is that privilege in place. The privilege is not, input, is, not in, is not put in place by the attorney, it's put in place by the client. And the client chooses whether they want to continue with that privilege or if they want to waiver it. Okay, It's up to the client. However, as soon as you start discussing your issue or your facts in issue, whether it's criminal or civil, as soon as you start discussing that or engage in a mandate with an attorney, the, that privilege remains that confidentiality remains and it is actually up to the attorney to make a decision whether they want to pursue with the the the, the, the matter or if they want to withdraw from the matter so an attorney has that right okay they they will not disclose any information that you've already given them in that privileged conversation okay they will keep that privileged However, they can choose whether it goes against their morals if they want to continue with your case or if they want to refer it to somebody else. And an attorney or an advocate or a judge or a legal advisor is in their full right to decline your matter if they feel it goes against their morals or their ethics. So members of the profession are paid for their services and should manage their practices on sound business principles. The professions may be distinguished from other jobs, businesses or trades by virtue of the following characteristics. So you'll find that people who have um, specify, uh, specialized in a profession like a surgeon or a doctor or an attorney or a chartered accountant have very similar characteristics okay so professionals are required to have specialized intellectual knowledge and skills before they are granted access to their chosen profession this knowledge which is not easily accessible to a layperson puts the professional in a position of authority vis-a-vis -vis the client the client has no option but to trust the professional and should therefore be able to rely on the latter's integrity so just so that you know, in my case, I've been studying law since 2013 and I'm not yet qualified. My qualification will be next year, June, after which I still have to do three years of articles before I'm an admitted attorney. So after my LLB and I graduate, I'm a candidate attorney, but I still have to do three years of articles or two years of articles before I become an admitted attorney. Admitted means I get admitted to the courts and I get recognized as a practicing attorney. So 
for those of you who don't know how old I am, I'm already 46. So that's another, by the time I'm 50, I will be a qualified attorney, a qualified practicing attorney. Um, so that's been nearly, it's been six, seven, six, it's going to be at least nine or 10 years by the time I'm ready to, uh, by the time that's finished. So I just want you to know that it's not, this is not a profession that someone goes and studies just so that they can give up. You have to make up your mind if this is what you want to do. And if this is what you're passionate about, like I am, and that's why I decided to study. And of course, the money is also decent. And, um, you know, you can, you can open your own business. You can open your own practice. And you can specialize in what you want to specialize in. But at the end of the day, the, it is a very specialized profession. You have to know all the various aspects of the various parts of law. And when we're talking about, well, we're not just talking about divorce and maintenance and marriage. Those are just three parts of our law. There's property law, there's intellectual property, there's cyber law, there's insolvency law, there's uh, contract law, there's delectual law, there's, in South Africa we have, there is a lot, a lot of various um, categories of our law. And we've got criminal law, we've got criminal civil procedure, we have civil law, um, We've got law of succession, which I've been doing with you guys, explaining to you how law of succession works for a person who has a deceased estate. Um, there's notaries, people who sign anti-nuptial contracts. All of that, even the people who work in the courts, they've all got their law degree. The registrar of the courts and any public officer that works in the courts has all, most of them have got their law degrees. So their work that they're doing in the courthouse actually is part of their articles. Okay. So just so that you understand that when you go and see a person at the court, most of them have studied their law degree. Majority of them are LLB students who have qualified or maybe still studying towards the LLB. So a professional is expected to have a commitment to promote the basic good of society. So specifically in law. And in the case of a legal profession, we are, the basic good would be justice. We would like to see justice for our clients. Justice should prevail always. Professionals are expected to have a commitment to serving the public in matters that relate to that particular field. Professionals enjoy relative autonomy in the execution of their duties. They use their discretion to the execution of their duties and do not blindly, blindly accede to their clients or other authorities. Professionals should have a willingness to accept personal responsibility for their action and for maintaining public confidence in their particular profession. And professionals should share a common sense of identity and an established moral community. Professionals are self-disciplined and abide by a good code of ethics, legal ethics, and based upon what the best thinkers in a particular profession regard as proper conduct for a member of that profession. 
So the above standards of professional conduct are enforced by the profession itself or even by our courts. So in order to regard lawyers as no more than businessmen would mean that the idea of law and the objective of just, justice, such as fair and equal distribution of privileges and responsibilities relating to property, liberty and life, would be kind of warped. Uh, only the most profitable cases would then be accepted by practitioners and only the rights and privileges of those able to pay high fees of legal services would then be protectors, protected. So justice would be then denied to all those who cannot afford to pay for it. And consequently, public trust in the legal profession and existing socio-political dispensation would be undermined if justice were no longer served. So just to go through what are the core values in the making up of a good lawyer values are ideals which we strive to achieve values must be seen in light as aspirational values all good lawyers need not look the same in terms of values and value strength. We can expect a core of values in all of them, but we must allow for personal differences. So these core values are normally honesty, trustworthiness, good judgment, well there's actually four, so it's honesty and trustworthiness, good judgment and objectivity. And these are the values or virtues we have in mind. And these should be integrated into the lives of lawyers. If we look at honesty and trustworthiness. When acting on behalf of a client, you have an obligation to be honest to your client and to the court and to other lawyers and to third parties and society in general. To be honest is to be willing to disclose not only a part of but the whole truth that you know about a particular situation. Withholding some information, even for a good reason, does not measure up to the requirement of full disclosure. You can avoid lying, being dishonest, by keeping silent. But in doing so, you also fail to be honest. Consequently, you may not claim to have acted honestly where you have deliberately avoided making a full disclosure. So to argue that since professionals lie not only in their own interests, but in the interests of their clients, and that therefore does not amount to dishonesty is problematic. To be an honest lawyer means that you must be ready and willing to make a full disclosure at all times. An exception to this is your obligation to protect the privacy of your client. Professional privilege of a client's communication is a legal doctrine which provides that professionals cannot be required to reveal client confidences in a court of law. This underlying doctrine is the notion that clients would not be able to trust professionals who have violated the confidentiality of their communications. So that is the reason why we have client attorney privilege. Okay, because if we didn't have that doctrine, your client would never be able to trust you to tell you what actually happened. 
Okay. So in order to be trustworthy and honest, it is important that a legal practitioner foresees and avoids a situation which there may be a conflict of interest. And this may this this can arise, for example, if the legal practitioner has a financial interest in the matter. The point is that you are in the first place, the legal professional is under no obligation to accept the client's mandate, as I explained earlier. The legal professional has a choice whether or not to abide by the demands of trustworthiness and honesty in a specific situation. So the reason why we put honesty and trustworthiness together is that there actually is an essential connection between the two traits. To be honest is to be truthful. The obligation to be trustworthy and honest permeates all areas of your relationship with others. And this includes a relationship with other practitioners, the courts, and the public. So the second virtue that we look at is good judgment. A legal practitioner should have a sense of equity and fairness, and should be able to act impartially and exercise good judgment. So... Basically, a legal practitioner, as an attorney, you should be able to judge matters objectively, carefully, and deliberately. You should possess a decision-making skill necessary to arrive at equitable results. Okay, so good judgment requires good deliberation upon a situation in order to consider what the appropriate course of action would be. Sometimes a decision to act in a particular manner yields a desired result, but sometimes it does not. In the former instance, we speak of a person acting on his or her good judgment, whereas in the latter, the person showed poor or bad judgment. So good judgment is considered to be a virtue. Good or bad judgment is not the outcome of following or disregarding the correct and consistent use of a particular theory or drawing or failing to draw the only correct inference in specific circumstances. To exercise a judgment, whether good or bad, involves a complex interrelated element, including deduction and intuition. Deductive reasoning is an indispensable element of forming a particular judgment. Intuition is also indispensable in forming a particular judgment. Okay, and then we look at another virtue, which obviously would be... Um, Objectivity. Objectivity is closely related to good judgment and also to honesty. It requires that no irrelevant consideration should be brought to bear upon your judgment, which implies not only a keen logical sense, but also good preparation so that you know what is needed. Your emotions, the practitioner's emotions should be blocked out 
You should never be influenced by emotion. And this should not come out in interviews or cases. Absolute objectivity is probably not attainable, but it should at least, you should at least be able to recognize your own views, preconceptions, and to be able to distinguish facts from your emotions. So this is also where honesty, particularly with yourself as a legal practitioner, plays a huge role. Okay. So that is basically the beginning parts of ethical, professional ethics in the legal profession. And I will go through some other parts of the professional ethics again um, in, a, in a, a podcast later on this week. Just to give you a better overview of how things work in the profession. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful Wednesday morning in the middle of, uh, well, the beginning of June. Um, I'm going to talk a bit about the legal profession itself. Um, and it's mostly to do with the professional ethics that you as a client can expect from your attorney. So in the legal profession, in a lot of professions, there's what we call ethics, but each profession has their own subcategory. And in the legal fraternity or the legal um, circle, we have what we call legal ethics. And when we talk about legal ethics, it can be understood in both a narrow and a wide sense. But it basically, in a wide sense, refers to the general uh, refers in general to the relationship between the law and ethics or ethics in this case morality in the narrow sense the legal ethics term refers to an ethical standard of professional conduct which is applicable to the field of law so in the field of medicine for example we would have medical ethics Legal ethics in the narrow sense deals with the oughts, in inverted commas, of providing a legal service. So basically we ask ourselves how ought a legal practitioner to behave in order to be a good, decent and proper legal practitioner. So that's, that is the question that gets asked in the narrow sense with regards to the professional conduct. In legal practice, we talk about legal ethics, and the term legal ethics is understandably generally used in the, the narrow sense, right? Which is their conduct applicable to the field of law and their standard of professionalism. So I'm going to talk purely about the professional conduct expected of legal practitioners in South Africa. So ethics for an attorney in South Africa is regulated by the Attorneys Act in number 53 of 1979. The whole of chapter 3 of this act, which would be sections 56 to section 77, is very relevant to legal ethics in South Africa. The Attorneys Act governs the establishment of the law societies. Now law societies 
lay down binding rules for the members of the legal profession on their registers. So law societies also um, set down various rules which are intended to firstly protect and promote the legal profession. Secondly, protect the individual practitioner. And thirdly, to protect and safeguard the interest of the client in the context of the relationship between the lawyer and the client or their client. We also look at the Supreme Courts Act 59 of 1959, which contains rules pertaining to the admission of advocates, their authorization to practice and their conduct. Because remember now, advocates and attorneys are slightly different. In terms of sections two of the Admission of Advocates Act, 74, 1964, the power to make rules includes the power to make rules in terms of the Supreme Court Act, which gives effect to the provisions of the Admission of Advocates Act. So the rules of the Code of Conduct of the various court divisions also governs the professional conduct of legal practitioners. So just remember the various courts have their own rules, their court rules, okay? So when we look at professional codes, um, there is comprehensive codes of legal ethics that were adopted with an attempt to maintain the ethical basis of the legal profession. A professional code of ethics is a compilation, so it's a set of ethical values that provides practitioners in the legal profession with a framework for ethical practice of law in their profession. A code of legal ethics would generally be one to protect the professional nature of their legal services by stressing their obligation of professionalism to service justice and the public. Secondly, it would be to correct the imbalance in the relationship between the professional and the client. Thirdly, it would be to maintain public confidence. Fourthly, it would be to protect the public against improper conduct or incompetence by prescribing and guaranteeing standards of skills, learning and conduct that is required by the legal profession. Fifthly, would be providing practitioners and newcomers with a broad parameter for making morally responsible choices in testing situations. Sixth, it would ensure fair competition between legal practitioners. And seven, it would discipline unprofessional behavior. So that's the purpose of the professional code. So there has been some criticism of professional codes. Um, specifically, we have insider criticism, which is criticism within the profession. And this is where practitioners are suspicious of the codes of ethics. And the suspicion concerns two different aspects, namely a practical concern and a theoretical concern. From a practical concern perspective, professional codes are not always enforced by the law society. And those who transgress them are not always dealt with effectively. So many practitioners feel that the codes are not properly enforced and they argue that the profession might as well abandon them or replace them with codes of business ethics instead. Okay, and then from a theoretical concern, the very idea that the, the practice of law is a profession and not merely a job in which bureaucratic tasks are associated with a business is executed, counters the idea that legal ethics can be reduced to a rule of professional conduct. So one justification 
for the self-regulation of the profession is that the practice of law requires very complex professional judgment reasonableness of which can be judged only by a fellow professional so self-regulation presumes that the conduct of a practitioner will not be judged against a code but more judged by colleagues who exhibit those virtues inherent in morally good practitioners so there's a more formalistic idea that legal ethics is no more than a compliance with a legal code which makes a mockery of this justification and kind of reduces law to another business enterprise and it exposes the continued existence of the law and bar societies as no more than agencies that create a protected vested interest we also have outsider criticism now this is criticism from um, people or institutions or professionals outside of the legal practition profession and they feel from an outsider's perspective the public specifically feel that there is no access to a simplified easy understandable professional code and they do not know what conduct is regarded as unethical or dishonest therefore they are not able to lay complaints which may be investigated by the enforcing agencies which would be the various law societies and bar um, councils so some ethical rules are seen as protecting members of the profession against the public or serving only the interest of members of the legal profession so for example the rules which create barriers against competition from newcomers to the profession is one of those examples so the rules regarded as having universal or timeless value rules sometimes change as time changes so the rule that practitioners who write articles may not be identified in the press with reference to their firms could be considered a form of touting this also no longer applies so the public furthermore feels that since complaints are handled by colleagues of the accused in the legal profession the latter will be protected against accusation from the public so in other words they are most times protected by their profession so there is no fair um, sanction against a legal professional who um, obviously behaves unethically practitioners are also reluctant to report colleagues as with any profession due to um, to report colleagues to enforcing agencies and often unwilling to testify against them during hearings if practitioners turn a blind eye to what their colleagues do there is no way in which the profession may be disciplined so legal professions is consequently sometimes regarded as a conspiracy conspiracy against the lighty or as an unusual effective monopoly and we have the same issue in the medical fraternity and the medical profession um, we have the same we have we have it in a lot of professions actually I think even in the the chartered accountants financials associations we have the same issues okay so we're gonna just go through a few little things like for instance I would like to explain to you what a profession is so when people talk about a profession it's not just a job you have to realize that legal studies take many many years and it's not once you've got your LLB you just finish studying it's continued education for the rest of your life 
and you have to you have to meet certain CPD points or CPE points sorry every single year in order to continue remaining in some of the agents and institutions that you actually are members of so the word profession is de derived actually from a Latin word called professio which means public statement or promise so from this Latin word, it may be inferred that the legal profession, whether an attorney, advocate, judge, magistrate, public prosecutor, or legal advisor, should be worthy of public trust. And I know that's very difficult for a lot of people because a lot of people think that attorneys and people in the legal profession are dodgy, scary, okay? As I go through this uh, subject, you will see that there's a reason for certain behavior by your legal representative. And you will understand why they do what they do. So, um, so they should be worthy of a public trust and therefore they must carry out their professional duties with public spiritedness and higher standards of ethical conduct. Now, most people in the legal profession are extremely ethical people. It's very rare that you come across a legal professional who um, won't put their morals first. And it has to, you have to be reminded as a client that there is your client attorney privilege, okay, but if you, and, and that is, as soon as you start talking to an attorney, there is that privilege in place. The privilege is not, in put, is, not in, is not put in place by the attorney. It's put in place by the client. And the client chooses whether they want to continue with that privilege or if they want to waiver it. Okay, It's up to the client. However, as soon as you start discussing your issue or your facts in issue, whether it's criminal or civil, as soon as you start discussing that or engage in a mandate with an attorney, the, that privilege remains, that confidentiality remains. And it is actually up to the attorney to make a decision whether they want to pursue with the, 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 the matter or if they want to withdraw from the matter. So an attorney has that right, okay? They, they will not disclose any information that you've already given them in that privileged conversation okay they will keep that privileged however they can choose whether it goes against their morals if they want to continue with your case or if they want to refer it to somebody else and an attorney or an advocate or a judge or a legal advisor is in their full right to decline your matter if they feel it goes against their morals or their ethics so members of the profession are paid for these services and should manage their practices on sound business principles the professions may be distinguished from other jobs businesses or trades by virtue of the following characteristics so you'll find that people who have um, specify uh, specialized in a profession like a surgeon or a doctor or an attorney or a chartered accountant have very similar 
characteristics. Okay, so professionals are required to have specialized intellectual knowledge and skills before they are granted access to their chosen profession. This knowledge, which is not easily accessible to a layperson, puts the professional in a position of authority vis-a-vis -vis the client. The client has no option but to trust the professional and should therefore be able to rely on the latter's integrity. So just so that you know, in my case, I've been studying law since 2013 and I'm not yet qualified. My qualification will be next year, June. After which I still have to do three years of articles before I'm an admitted attorney. So after my LLB and I graduate, I'm a candidate attorney. But I still have to do three years of articles or two years of articles before I become an admitted attorney. Admitted means I get admitted to the courts and I get recognized as a practicing attorney. So for those of you who don't know how old I am, I'm already 46. So that's another, by the time I'm 50, I will be a qualified attorney, a qualified practicing attorney. Um, so that's been nearly, it's been six, seven, six, it's going to be at least nine or 10 years by the time I'm ready to, uh, by the time that's finished. So I just want you to know that it's not, this is not a profession that someone goes and studies just so that they can give up you have to make up your mind if this is what you want to do and if this is what you're passionate about like I am and that's why I decided to study and of course the money is also decent and um, you know you can you can open your own business you can open your own practice and you can specialize in what you want to specialize in but at the end of the day the, it is a very specialized profession you have to know all the various aspects of the various parts of law and when you're talking about well, we're not just talking about divorce and maintenance and marriage those are just three parts of our law there's property law there's intellectual property there's cyber law there's insolvency law there's uh, contract law there's delectual law there's in South Africa we have there is a lot, a lot of various um, categories of our law. And we've got criminal law, we've got criminal civil procedure, we have civil law. Um, we've got law of succession, which I've been doing with you guys, explaining to you how law of succession works for a person who has a deceased estate. Um, there's notaries, people who sign anti-nuptial contracts. All of that, even the people who work in the courts have all got their law degree. The registrar of the courts and any public officer that works in the court has all, most of them have got their law degrees. So their work that they're doing in the courthouse actually is part of their articles. Okay. So just so that you understand that when you go and see a person at the court, most of them have studied their law degree majority of them are llb students who have qualified or maybe still studying towards the llb so a professional is expected to have a commitment to promote the basic good of society so specifically in law 
And in the case of a legal profession, we are, the basic good would be justice. We would like to see justice for our clients. Justice should prevail always. Professionals are expected to have a commitment to serving the public in matters that relate to that particular field. Professionals enjoy relative autonomy in the execution of their duties. They use their discretion to the execution of their duties and do not blindly, blindly accede to their clients or other authorities. Professionals should have a willingness to accept personal responsibility for their action and for maintaining public confidence in their particular profession. And professionals should share a common sense of identity and an established moral community. Professionals are self-disciplined and abide by a good code of ethics, legal ethics. And based upon what the best thinkers in a particular profession regard as proper conduct for a member of that profession. So the above standards of professional conduct are enforced by the profession itself or even by our courts. So in order to regard lawyers as no more than businessmen would mean that the idea of law and the objective of just, justice, such as fair and equal distribution of privileges and responsibilities relating to property, liberty and life, would be kind of warped. Uh, only the most profitable cases would then be accepted by practitioners and only the rights and privileges of those able to pay high fees of legal services would then be protectors, protected. So justice would be then denied to all those who cannot afford to pay for it. And consequently, public trust in the legal profession and existing socio-political dispensation would be undermined if justice were no longer served. So just... To go through what are the core values in the making up of a good lawyer. Values are ideals which we strive to achieve. Values must be seen in light as aspirational values. All good lawyers need not look the same in terms of values and value strength. We can expect a core of values in all of them, but we must allow for personal differences. So these core values are normally honesty, trustworthiness, good judgment, well there's actually four, so it's honesty and trustworthiness, good judgment and objectivity. And these are the values or virtues we have in mind. And these should be integrated into the lives of lawyers. If we look at honesty and trustworthiness. When acting on behalf of a client, you have an obligation to be honest to your client and to the court and to other lawyers and to third parties and society in general. To be honest is to be willing to disclose not only a part of, but the whole truth that you know about a particular situation. Withholding some information, even for a good reason, does not measure up to the requirement of full disclosure. You can avoid lying, being dishonest, by keeping silent. But in doing so, you also fail to be honest. Consequently, you may not claim to have acted honestly 
where you have deliberately avoided making a full disclosure. So to argue that since professionals lie not only in their own interests but in the interests of their clients and that therefore does not amount to dishonesty is problematic. To be an honest lawyer means that you must be ready and willing to make a full disclosure at all times. An exception to this is your obligation to protect the privacy of your client. Professional privilege of a client's communication is a legal doctrine which provides that professionals cannot be required to reveal client confidences in a court of law. This underlying doctrine is the notion that clients would not be able to trust professionals who have violated the confidentiality of their communications. So that is the reason why we have client attorney privilege. Okay, because if we didn't have that doctrine, your client would never be able to trust you to tell you what actually happened. Okay, so in order to be trustworthy and honest, it is important that a legal practitioner foresees and avoids a situation which there may be a conflict of interest. And this may, this, this can arise, for example, if the legal practitioner has a financial interest in the matter. The point is that you are in the first place, the legal professional is under no obligation to accept the client's mandate, as I explained earlier. The legal professional has a choice whether or not to abide by the demands of trustworthiness and honesty in a specific situation. So the reason why we put honesty and trustworthiness together is that there actually is an essential connection between the two traits. To be honest is to be truthful. The obligation to be trustworthy and honest permeates all areas of your relationship with others. And this includes a relationship with other practitioners, the courts and the public. So the second virtue that we look at is good judgment. A legal practitioner should have a sense of equity and fairness and should be able to act impartially and exercise good judgment. So basically a legal practitioner as an attorney you should be able to judge matters objectively carefully and deliberately. You should possess the decision-making skill necessary to arrive at equitable results. Okay, so good judgment requires good deliberation upon a situation in order to consider what the appropriate course of action would be. Sometimes a decision to act in a particular manner yields the desired results, but sometimes it does not. In the former instance, we speak of a person acting on his or her good judgment, whereas in the latter, the person showed poor or bad judgment. So good judgment is considered to be a virtue. Good or bad judgment is not the outcome of following or disregarding the correct and consistent use of a particular theory or drawing or failing to draw the only correct inference in specific circumstances. To exercise a judgment, whether good or bad, involves a complex 
interrelated element, including deduction and intuition. Deductive reasoning is an indispensable element of forming a particular judgment. Intuition is also indispensable in forming a particular judgment. Okay, and then we look at another virtue, which obviously would be um, objectivity. Objectivity is closely related to good judgment and also to honesty. It requires that no irrelevant consideration should be brought to bear upon your judgment, which implies not only a keen logical sense, but also good preparation so that you know what is needed. Your emotions, a practitioner's emotions should be blocked out. You should never be influenced by emotion. And this should not come out in interviews or cases. Absolute objectivity is probably not attainable, but it should at least, you should at least be able to recognize your own views, preconceptions, and to be able to distinguish facts from your emotions. So this is also where honesty, particularly with yourself as a legal practitioner, plays a huge role. Okay. So that is basically the beginning parts of ethical, professional ethics in the legal profession. And I will go through some other parts of the professional ethics again um, in a, in a, a podcast later on this week just to give you a better overview of how things work in the profession thank you for listening